Well, good morning. Good morning. Welcome, welcome to you all on this fine, fine Sunday, August 13. I was uh, looking up at the announcements uh, this morning when uh, when Sue was talking about the, uh, the the trip that's coming up mid-September. I'm like, wow, that's really far away. And then it occurred to me, that's just one month away. And I'm like, no, what happened to summer? Um, and it did as summer always does, which is pass on into fall and then into winter. And anyway, uh, hello to you out there in, uh, at home or wherever you are. If you're traveling, it's really good that you can worship with us today. Uh, my name is Doug Baker. I'm one of the pastors here at Community. And we get to continue on in our study of the book of Hebrews. We are coming to the end of the book of Hebrews. And today we are in chapter 12. Um, chapter 12, uh, I've preached before on the end part of chapter 12. I've preached before on just the first three verses of chapter 12. But there's this section kind of at the beginning and, and sort of into the middle of, of Hebrews chapter 12 that for today spoke very loudly to me. And I thought, all right, well, Father, then that's what we need to talk about. So that's where we're going to be focusing. When you get into Hebrews... Uh, what you find, and you've heard Pastor Trent talking about this over the last several weeks, what you find when you're reading Hebrews is how often when a chapter break comes, it almost seems oddly placed. They, they, you really can't really dig into what you're, you're anticipating because you need to know what, what came before. And it's like it's all intertwined and, and these kind of chapter break things, they just don't make a lot of sense. And we come again to a moment like that. Uh, Hebrews chapter 12 begins with the all-powerful, therefore. Well, when you see a therefore, that means you need to know what happened before. Uh, you don't know what the next part means until you know about what happened right before it. So right in front of chapter 12, you hear about all of these people of faith. You, you, you start with chapter 11, and it begins with faith as being sure of what you hope for and certain of what you do not see. Pastor Trent unpacked this for us last week. Story after story of people who lived by faith, who believed in God's promises based on evidence of God's story from years before, even if they didn't necessarily know it for themselves. Things they couldn't see. Faith in things that had been testified to in the past. They believed and they lived lives of faith based on that. They endured, they suffered, they held fast for the Lord. And as we get to the end of chapter 11, there was a verse that for me really sets the stage for this first part of chapter 12. We get to verse 39 and it says this, all of these people, all these folks who came before, whose faith we celebrate, all of them are commended for their faith, and yet none of them received what had been promised. They did everything right, they, 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 as much as they could, right? As far as they could as human beings, did everything they could to be faithful to the Lord our God, and yet they did not receive, did not receive what had been promised. That's a, that, I don't, for you, I don't know for you, but for me, that's a tough verse. What? Where's the payoff? Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, that's how chapter 12 starts. 
Now, we're going to just qu quick pause here. That word witnesses is an important word. We need to clue in on this word. It is based on the Greek word martyron, which is where we get the word martyr. Someone who dies, someone who gives something up, someone who sacrifices greatly for their faith. Back then, in, in the time that this was written, this was a legal word. Contemporarily, in the culture of the time, this was a legal word. It means witness, just like we understand. Somebody comes up to the stand, and they are serving as a witness. You promise to tell the whole truth, uh, and nothing but the truth still help you God. I do. All right, tell us what you saw. That's what this word means. Since we're surrounded by such a great cloud of testifiers... The author here really wants us to understand he's talking about people whose lives attest to a truth, something so important it's worth dying so that other people would know about it. A great cloud of witnesses declare to us from history the things we need to know that a life running after that one most important thing is a worthy life. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of those who testify. Let us, just like them, throw off everything that hinders, that might try and slow us down, that might try and convince us to stop. Throw off everything that hinders. Throw off the sin that so easily entangles. And let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, like they ran the race marked out for them. And but we're, we're going to fix our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith. He, for the joy set before him, he endured the cross. He scorned its shame and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him. Think about him. Dwell on him. Make who he is and what he has done, the central focus of your life. That's what that word consider means. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners so that you will not grow weary and lose heart on this journey you are on. Quick pause again. Don't miss that the ultimate witness the ultimate one with a testimony, the ultimate martyron, the one whose testimony is the best, the one on whom we need to keep our eyes is Jesus. Yeah, we can celebrate Moses, we can celebrate Noah, and we can celebrate all those that have come before. We love to tell the stories. But it is the testimony of Jesus that matters most. He also had to deal with pain and persecution. We heard earlier in Hebrews, he is our great high priest who totally understands our struggles, totally understands our trials, because he went through them too. But he went through them without failure. He did not fail. He did not falter. He would not quit. Now, with all of that laid out, all of that kind of set down in front of us, we get to the part of this Hebrews 12 passage that really needs the unpacking. As a pastor, this is a pastor writing a sermon to his congregation he calls the Hebrews. As he tries to encourage his church as they're struggling to keep the faith in a place that was really, really beating them up. And this is what he says to them. 
in your struggle against sin. And that, that can be the sin that's inside of us that wants to come out and, and cause us to make bad decisions. It can be the sin that is perpetrated onto us in your struggle against sin. You have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. You haven't been killed for it yet. And have you completely forgotten uh, this word of encouragement that addresses you as a father addresses his son? And then he goes on to quote Proverbs. This word of encouragement says, My son, do not make light of the Lord's discipline and do not lose heart when he rebukes you. Because the Lord disciplines the one he loves and he chastens everyone he accepts as his son. Endure hardship as discipline. God is treating you as his children. For what children are not disciplined by their father? I mean, if you're not disciplined, and everyone undergoes discipline, if you're not disciplined, then you're not legitimate. You're not true sons and daughters at all. And moreover, we have all had human fathers who disciplined us, and we respected them for it. That's a really nice assumption. How much more should we submit to the Father of spirits and live? See, they, our earthly fathers, they disciplined us for a little while as they thought best, but God disciplines us for our good in order that we may share in his holiness. No discipline seems pleasant at the time, <laughs> but painful. Later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it. Therefore, strengthen your feeble arms and weak knees. Make level paths for your feet so that the lame may not be disabled, but rather healed. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Heavenly Father, um, with your word in front of us, we wrestle. We struggle. We want to know what it is you say, and sometimes the things that you say, they, they poke at us. They, they, we, we struggle with it because... It doesn't fit always the way we think or the narratives that we like to construct. But here you are still speaking, and it does us well to listen. So be in our hearts, be in our heads, be in our ears. Help us to listen as you speak. Guard our hearts and minds in Christ Jesus as we dig into your truth. We pray this, we ask this in his holy name. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. I, I don't know what to do with this. I hear words like these and I'm a little bit discouraged. I mean, this pastor is writing to a congregation and he starts talking about hardship and acknowledging that his people are struggling and they are struggling. There's, there's no question at this time, historically, the people who received this letter are dealing with pain. They're being persecuted in the town that they're living in. This is at a time when basically anything you wanted to do, any kind of religion, anything other than following Jesus Christ was just fine. 
and you would have a place in society. They would accept you. You would be able to participate. You would be able to buy food in the market. You would be able to buy uh, uh, fabrics. You could make clothes for your kids and everything was fine. You, they might want to know what temple you worshiped at or what God you worshiped, but, but everybody was like, okay, okay. And as soon as you stop walk, start walking in, you're like, well, actually, I'm a Jesus follower. I follow the way. They're like, no, I'm sorry, you can't buy food here. I mean, imagine, imagine if you can for just one minute, if you walked into Meyer, or if you walked into D&W, if you walked into Family Fair, and there was somebody standing at the door, and they said to you, what religion are you? Well, I, I believe in God. You go to church? Yeah. Which church? Well, I go to Community Reformed Church. Oh, you're one of those Jesus people. Yeah, you can't buy food. It's, it boggles, right? It's almost funny to imagine, but that's what's happening to them. And they're getting frustrated. They're running out of, of options. What are we going to do? And so they're actually contemplating. They're actually debating about whether or not to go back to their old religions. If they were Jewish, we should just go back and be the people of the law. If they were pagan, we should just go back and worship all the other gods we used to worship. How come this is happening? This is not fair. And the pastor is like, yes, it's not fair. This is what you're dealing with. And it, it, it's real. And here's my encouraging word to you. Isn't it great that God loves you enough to discipline you? I hear those words and I'm a little bit frustrated. Like, what in the world is he talking about? Discipline? No, discipline happens when bad things are going on. Like, I know when I've been disciplined, it was because I was naughty, right? When I've had to discipline my kids, it's because they've been rocking, walking the wrong path. And here are these folks, they're fighting to be faithful, they're experiencing hardship. And he says, God loves you enough to discipline you. And he says it as if that's a good answer. Like that should be enough to console their wounded hearts, to encourage them, to challenge them, to help them get back up and go, yes, yes, absolutely. Their souls are weary from battling day after day to stay Christian. And so... And this is why this jumped out at me. I'm like, how in the world is this an encouragement? I need to understand this because, because it is. It, it needs to be. So what is he trying to help them understand? And when I went back and I was unpacking chapter 11 and the whole kind of narrative, and I get to that, that verse 39 of 11, all were commended for their faith, yet none of them received what had been promised, it suddenly occurred to me what he was setting up for his people, what he was trying to help them see. He was trying to reframe their experience of life from God's perspective, not their own. See, what was happening is they were, they were kind of getting trapped in their own heads. They're getting trapped in their own experiences. Oh, oh, this is what I have to deal with. Oh, woe is me. Oh, woe is me. It's like they're understanding the whole world just kind of revolves around them. And he's like, no, 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 stop. I want you to, I want you to rethink of what you're going through. I want you to try and see it from God's perspective. Okay, a, a perfect holy God who is your father, your good and perfect father. And he knows that you're his, you're his kids. And he loves you and he knows you're struggling. He also knows that, 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 that you can get wrapped up in stuff. So, so try and understand it from God's perspective. Because when we do try and understand what's happening in our lives from God's perspective, it can totally change how we experience what's going on. It can, it's like flip a switch and it will change 
what we're thinking about how life is treating us. I mean, if we truly believe that God is our Father, and if, if, we, if we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose, then shouldn't we, shouldn't we, if those things are true, try and see how God is using difficult things as a way to grow us up as his kids, to make sure that we're acting like heirs of his kingdom, to, to, to hone us into instruments for his glory? And so here this pastor challenges his congregation to rethink of themselves in the same light that they think of the people of old, those with great faith stories. You remember Abraham and the challenges he endured and how he was a man of faith. You remember Noah. You remember Moses. You remember Gideon and Barak. You remember these amazing things. You love to tell the stories. You love to, to sing of these testimonies of, of faithfulness to God. Do you think it was easy for them? If you want to have a testimony, then be ready to walk the path. And you do. You want that testimony. You want to be a person with a great testimony where, where God's hand is working. You want, to be, you want your name spoken in the same breath as someone who talks about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Why not? That would be amazing. So then don't be surprised if there's a fiery furnace. This is a part of being God's people. Know that what God is doing is loving for you, loving to you, where he is shaping and, 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 and maturing you, it's time, he's saying this to his people, folks, it's time to grow up and be the men and women of faith that God is calling you to be. I need you to stop contemplating the abandonment of eternal life because temporary life is getting hard. And that's what's happening here. That is the core of what is being said here, what is happening here. It's fairly straightforward, and it's really good stuff. Now, what's the subtext? What's the undercurrent? Let's dig a little deeper. What is he confronting in his people? What is he challenging in them? Because they're wrapped up in something. They're caught in some, they're caught in a sin. They're caught in a lie. And he is confronting a deep-seated lie that's happening in them, something that happens in human beings and has been happening in human beings from the very beginning, the outset of when that serpent whispered lies to Adam and Eve. He is calling out a sin in his people, a hidden thing that is their actual struggle. It is the exact same thing that caught Adam and Eve unaware in the garden. It's the exact same thing that caught King David by surprise when he was hanging out on that rooftop spying on Bathsheba. And it is the exact same thing that catches us and causes us to spend way more time thinking about our own lives or our own preferences or our own troubles or our own goals or, or how we've been offended by so-and-so or how we're just not able to, to, to handle what's in front of us today. The Hebrews were buying in to the lie of and blinded by the very first 
sin. It's, it's pride. It's the very first sin, pride. Now, if that catches you off guard and you're wondering, hold on a second, the examples that you gave, I don't understand how that fits. How is, how is it prideful to, to be tempted to give up when you're suffering? How is that pride? Or, or I mean, King David, isn't what he gave into lust? How is that pride? Or, or how is it pride thinking about my life or knowing my preferences or, or focusing on my troubles and, and wondering how to solve them? Like, if I set goals for myself, how is that pride? See, because usually when we think about that word pride, we think of it in like one context, right? We think about uh, people who are, are boastful, are very arrogant, and they express that, I am better than you. And we understand, okay, that's pride. We don't think of when people are considering throwing in the towel as pride, but that is what is happening, and that is what it means. Let me explain. At its core, biblically defined pride or arrogance or haughtiness is really simply this. Uh, when we believe or we act like the world revolves around us. Like that thing, right? That's pride. When, uh, when, when we attribute more validity to our experiences than to the truth, that's pride. Now, how it manifests, it can be quite complicated. We humans, we are quite complicated, and we have different avenues that believing the world revolves around us can take, right? It can be arrogance. It can be, I, I'm, I think, very, very highly of myself, and we see that very easily in people, right? But it is also insecurity, to believe that my whole world is falling apart because of a mistake that I have made is also pride. It also is about the world revolving around me. Both demonstrate that idea. Pride's essential deception is that what is true depends on how we feel. That reality, reality itself must be shaped by my experience or my existence in this world. And that can be either boastful or it can be overly critical. Both, they're just two sides of the same coin. Let me tell you a couple stories. Uh, I've been ordained in ministry now for about 21 years. And in that time, I have served in the leadership of four different churches. Um, as I was coming to the end of my first call, I was feeling like God might be pulling me somewhere else. And so I... I mean, I'm in my mid to late 30s at that point. Uh, we were a pretty stable congregation in a town where congregations were under decline. So that was like a, a nice feather in my cap. Uh, we had been through a building project. So that was really cool. That was another feather in my cap. I had two young kids. So, uh, you know, that, that's a little feather in my I really thought when it was time to start putting my profile out there, I would be like a hot commodity on the pastor market. Oh, Yeah. And I wrote my resume and, I, you know, put it together and it looks super good. And, and there's all these, like, right words in there. And it almost comes across as, you know, you definitely want me. Aren't you fortunate that I'm interested in you? It was not pretty. I'm not proud of it. I'm confessing this. And I put that out there. And there were 
a couple of interviews, but nothing went anywhere for a year. God humbled me. My pride had run rampant. Oh, look how good you are at what you do. It is all about you. Now, go a few years into ministry further, and I find myself in a situation where I have a tough call to make in ministry. Um, there, there was an issue in a church I was serving, and I had to pick one of two roads, and both of them were not going to be good. It was going to, the fallout was not going to be good. And I made a choice. And I, I worked with my leadership on it. I made a choice. And it blew up. And it blew up in a way that I did not expect, and that poked at my understanding of my competence and my gifting and what God had called me to do. And it brought me to about the lowest point in ministry that I have ever been at, to the point where I am weeping in front of my wife and saying, I, I don't think I can do this anymore. And she's like, you need to talk to somebody, call somebody, uh, a minister friend, call them. And I called a friend and I said, I, I need to sit and talk with you right now. And we got together, I pulled him out of his house and, and we're sitting in a room and I'm like, I, I, I dude, I trust you, just tell me that I stink at this and I will stop. Because I've been praying, I was asking God to release, release me from this call. I can't do this. And my friend was smart enough and wise enough to say, I'm not smarter than God, I can't release you from your call. But why are you so focused on you? And it was like this, like, beautiful Holy Spirit smack in the face, which I needed. Because again, my pride was running rampant, screaming at me, you're not good enough. And it was all about me. All about me. Can you guess whether or not I left the ministry? Pride is a sin and a deception. And in those moments, and many other smaller, different moments all through my life, examples of when I stopped fixing my eyes on Jesus and considering him first. And I needed in Every single example, every single one of those circumstances, I needed to repent and I needed to get my Savior back front and center into my view of life where he belongs. See, whether thinking too much or believing too little than what God tells us about who we are, both are believing that we define the truth. As if how the world works depends on how we feel. And that's what's happening in the Hebrews congregation. And that's why this pastor is writing to his congregation, asking his people to readjust the way they're thinking about their suffering. He knows this is what they need. And that's why he says, endure hardship as discipline. God is treating you as his children. It's not about you. 
Grow up. This life is about who God is and what he says he is doing for you. God's word says discipline here. Discipline. That's a two-meaning word. It means to both be corrected and it means to be trained. We can't be all that God wants of us for his kingdom until we are rebuked of our broken ideas. Stop it. This world does not revolve around you. And we can't be all that God wants of us for his kingdom unless we are trained in Christ's righteousness. And training is being shaped. It is being honed. It is being uh, whittled down. It is being pruned. It is being refined. How many other biblical images can we come up with? It's like the Bible talks about this once in a while. And it can hurt. It can be uncomfortable. But it is lovingly done by a father who knows exactly who we are supposed to be. And if we want to be more than conquerors when it comes to this sin of pride, we need to refocus on the not us to fill our vision, to fix our eyes on Jesus Christ, to consider him to devote all of our attention to him so that we will not lose heart, to reframe how we think of hardship away from ourselves, how we think of, of success away from ourselves. And toward the God who is telling us who we are, you are his child, you are his son, you are his daughter, and you are worthy of his love, you are worthy of his discipline, you are worthy of his rebuke. You are worthy of his training. He's got such amazing things in mind for you. So that you can have a testimony, a witness, a martyron, like those who have come before. So that those who come after will know who Jesus is. Because you were willing to do what was hard, even though maybe you might not receive everything that you feel like was promised. This life is not about us. It's about him. It's about them, them, this, all the people around us who do not know who Jesus is who need to receive eternal life. It is for the lame who need level paths to walk. Will you please help them have level paths to walk? To have a life of celebrated faith like those who came before, we must let go of the pride which tells us that we define our life and instead choose to receive God's declaration, this is who he says we are. And then we will truly live. Let's pray. Father God, thank you. Thank you for your faithfulness. Faithfulness enough to tell us the things that are true, even when they're scary and even when they're hard, but the things that are true because they're based on you, they're based on Jesus, they're based on things that are far beyond us. Help us to recognize that deception of pride when it rises up and to refuse it. The world does not revolve around us. We are not either better or worse than who you say we are. So speak and tell us the truth.
and give us the courage to believe you. We pray this in Jesus' name.